Welcome to Citizen. 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 Citizen Science. Citizen Science Show. Welcome to the Citizen Science Show. My name is Christine. I'm here with James Watts. He's a scientist and researcher at the University of Queensland, whose main area of research at the moment is gold nanoparticles. All right. So welcome, James. Thank you so much, Christine. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me onto this podcast. No worries. Thank you for being on this. So um, can you tell us a bit about your venom collecting and the device that you created? Uh, why did you need to create your collection device and um, what started it? So I was originally working with Luke Gadat at UQ and we were looking at small polypeptides that were used in research for dementia. And obviously the costs of bee venom is extraordinarily likely expensive. So you're talking about 600 USD per gram of bee venom and essentially one milligram of bee venom costs an astonishing amount. So you, you're thinking milliliter would be costing close to 200 USD and there's, you know, 500 grams of molybdenum, 500 milligrams of molybdenum in a gram of bee venom. So it's, it's quite a substantial differentiation of the value that is in the venom itself and what is actually collected. So that kind of differentiation is quite large and obviously expensive for research. So we had to come up with some type of device that would not only not harm the bees, but be able to allow us to collect that venom very easily. What are you researching in regards to the um, application of bee venom? So I was originally researching APEN. So APEN actually was very useful in dementia research and it showed that when the, it would actually allow the neuron to fire more slowly. So if you think about it, if you have like a neuron firing, it's kind of like throwing a ball and someone catching it. But in the case of dementia, the, basically the plaque goes over the neuron and it doesn't allow it to catch that ball back. So APEN allows that kind of interaction. So it's very amazing kind of polypeptide. And when we we're doing research on it, we just discovered that like the cost of it was just prohibitive for research. And so we needed a device to actually collect the bee venom and be able to process it ourselves. Yeah. With regards to extracting melatonin, what else are you using um, that in application for? And, and in particular, um, I heard something about you, you were mentioning um, cancer cell line research. Yes. So currently we're looking into a few different cancer lines, basically like uh, prostate cancer, bowel cancer, and um, triple negative breast cancer. And so far we're using melatonin just to cause apoptosis of the cells. We've also increased it with a conjugate with gold nanoparticles, so it can be used um, as also a, a cancer treatment using um, photokinetics. Can you explain uh, the apoptosis of the cell? What is that? Uh, it basically forms holes in the cell and it, it will basically leak out the cell's contents. So it forms mini pores and the larger amount of um, well, molybdenum actually causes the cell to open up further and allow the leaking of the cells. And um, when you talk about conjugating the melatonin with, uh, with gold nanoparticles, yes. what, what does that involve and why do you do that? So essentially what you want is because molybdenum is very easily picked up from the immune system, so the immune system will just grab it and it's very toxic by itself. 
and it's very toxic to cells. What you need is basically like a car to bring it to its location. And the gold nanoparticle basically acts like that car. So it's, it's transporting the molybdenum in a safe context to the location that we need it. So essentially the application of um, the melatonin that you get from bee venom is a new cancer treatment. Um, is it potentially a cure? A cure for cancer. I, so there is other avenues for cures for cancer and it does require specificity that as, unfortunately the gold nanoparticles and molybdenum are very much like a bombardment versus very specific homing missile. Whereas we're developing ways of actually having that specificity for the cancer cells, like highly specific kind of homing missiles for that particular type without actually harming any neighboring cells, which is one of the most important things for actually finding a cure for cancer. Okay. And so um, is it really difficult to, um, to get to extract gold nanoparticles? No, it's super easy. I, I, sh I showed you earlier how we extract gold nanoparticles and potentially I think it's going to get even easier in the future. Okay, and um, is there a lot of people trying to currently um, achieve that process, achieve the result? Is the, there's a lot of research into gold nanoparticles, but again, it's always been very limited due to costs and associated costs with it, whereas we've managed a very low cost kind of um, garage fix for it. So I think it, it will, uh, a lot of scientists will be able to access it a lot easier now. Nice. Um, do you see that um, this kind of like treatment coming out in the like near future, or is it going to be a while a while out before this kind of thing is available to people? So ideally, if you've ever heard of the basically, it's the the medicine kind of one to fifteen, basically one one year to fifteen years. It's it's mostly likely going to take about fifteen years before it hits mainstream markets. Right, how far along is it now? Uh, so we're currently at uh, preclinical stages with it, and we're doing in vitro kind of testing. Uh, we can get to animal testing quite soon, but at the same time, we we have a like a kind of responsibility to get this out there. Right. And yeah. So we will. It yeah. does sound like it does sound like something that needs to go out there ASAP. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, and. Um, in terms of extracting melatonin um, from bee venom, have you had any success with other sources of melatonin and why is it that, that bee venom is the number one source for you? Okay, so, so essentially we're trying to stimulate an agricultural industry with the bee venom production. Honey doesn't actually earn as much as people think it does and it's actually quite a very low wage type kind of job in comparison to say something like going and doing gas welding or something similar to that but we actually essentially need these pollinators for our armor crops and for the agriculture industry in general this is what we see as a key kind of point in our kind of um, development that is focusing on agriculture and trying to make sure that the agriculture industry is uh, basically secure because we don't want to end up in a situation where our population reaches a point that we're consuming more than we're producing. But at the same time, we also don't want to destroy our 
environment with uh, obviously the topsoil um, top flying off and obviously the destruction due to um, large amounts of nitrogen getting into the soil and that cycle being broken up, the nitrogen cycle. So we wanted to focus on one area we thought was incredibly like just not even lucrative at the moment for the beekeeper, but will be very lucrative in the future for them because essentially they will be the only source of this this bee venom and melidin. See, recombinant bee venom suffers from something which is a misfolding and it won't fold correctly. And that's been a problem in a lot of research associated with it, that it, it misfolds and it has issues because obviously Melidin is toxic to bacteria. And so if you're trying to produce it with E. coli, you're gonna have issues because it just destroys the cell. And so mostly they can only be reproduced with a basically like a, this way of putting it is a misfolded version of melanin. And because otherwise the, the actual E. coli itself would just burst and die. It's less, so basically it's less potent than, than bee venom, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, well, it's a recombinant protein um, type polypeptides. Yeah, it's, it's very less potent. I, they can, you can change it slightly so it's less toxic and you can actually have other kind of um, abilities put into it as well. So while recombinant proteins are cool, I, I generally think that the bee venom is more potent, it's more active, it, it doesn't have the same folding issues that it has or um, gluconation. All right. Um, and so um, with this interest in venom, um, to be able to collect the melton, uh, when did you realize that bees were dying using older collection methods? No, straight away, straight away. As soon as we started looking into it, we saw that most of the other collectors basically treat it as if um, it's an economy. And whereas essentially what we wanted to do was just make a musical device that annoys them and they sting it and we get their venom from that way instead of having to kill the bees because we, we really don't want a device that kills bees. Yeah, yeah um, that makes a lot of sense. So did you find any cor correlation with um, bees dying and other environmental trends um, in terms of pollination in Australia? So yeah, there is a larger issues going on in terms of the uh, pollination die-off and uh, essentially the growth of the industry. One of the biggest issues that we, I personally see is that it needs to be more beekeepers out there the needs it's a dying industry it's not many people get introduced in it and not many people stay in it so the age demographic is quite older and there's not many new skills coming in then, into it there is a few TAFE courses that people can do but it's quite hard to get into the industry because it's becoming restrictively expensive to buy beekeeping equipment and not only that it doesn't earn much as a revenue source so the average beekeeper makes about $32,000 a year. And so at a time when we need beekeepers more than ever, it's harder than ever to get into the industry, isn't it? Yeah. Um, what, what's your opinion regarding the Varroa mite situation? Um, they've been eradicating a lot of beehives in New South Wales. Um, do you think that's a necessary step for, to take for biosecurity? I think that it is not 
my place to say how biosecurity is actually run. I think that the biosecurity experts and the DAF is doing the best job they can. They've kept the country pretty clean off a lot of pathogens and diseases. And I think that the people who are in those kind of positions have a really stressful job. Most of them probably are not sleeping. And so I think that it's, it's best off leaving it to the biosecurity and DAF to try to work out ways of eliminating these problems. I guess in terms of um, the, the overall my situation, my only other question is, um, what are your concerns as um, someone who's in the industry who keeps bees and has um, a bee, co- bee venom collection device on the market? Yeah, so that's one of my concerns associated with a varroa mite is potentially the the bigger impact on the industry, which is the supplement of movement of hives for pollination for crops development. While obviously there is kind of insurance and there is ways of um, getting beekeepers money for the hives that they lose, these lost hives are forever lost. So ideally, like a short term and listening to obviously biosecurity experts who have many, many years in the industry is obviously the most ideal kind of aspect of following. Could you talk about your research using fungi to kill the hive, hive beetles? And can you also explain what hive beetles are and why they're um, an issue for beekeepers? Oh, I'd, I'd absolutely love to talk about small hive beetles. So small hive beetles, this little, little black um, beetle that flies into a hive and it lays its eggs into the hive itself and then it ferments the honey and then causes what's called a slime out. So basically it all turns into uh, mead or... Uh, basically a fermentation process happens and worms go all throughout the hive and um, basically devastate the hive and there's obviously an absconding kind of position that happens so the bees just leave the hive and and then end up dying somewhere so it's 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 a horrible kind of little parasite and essentially it's very attracted to fermentation smells and different types of uh, fermentation reactions and so we were working with an expert in the industry, um, Diana Lehman, who basically helped us develop a pelletized system um, that we're, we're currently trialing at the moment for small hive beetle. And it's a spore that basically infects the adult and it affects the, the different stages of the larvae and everything. And because of the hygiene of the bees, like the bees like to um, get spores off themselves, they're not affected by the actual fungi itself. So it should be an effective treatment for small hive beetle. What gave you the idea to use fungi spores to kill off um, a pest in a beehive? Oh, that's a really good question. So essentially we were using another type of species which has a symbiotic relationship with plants and causes mycorrhizal relationships. And it's called trichoderma. It's, it's used for rebuilding topsoil and actually uh, having a nutrient kind of exchange between the roots and the actual soil itself. And we developed a pelletized system for this. And so we're starting to look for anti-pathogenic fungi for the sense of being able to control small hive beetle because it's such a huge issue up here in, uh, in Queensland. Could you use that to then kill off other pests like such as varroa mite? Yeah, you could potentially use uh, metarhizium robicii to kill off uh, varroa mite because it's essentially you can train it to be very specific towards an insect um, after a few generations of uh, breeding it through the insect. 
it becomes very specific towards that insect species, yeah. All right, so since you've introduced your bee venom collection device, have you noticed any uh, improvement in bee populations? So that's actually an interesting question. So there is, there has been uh, not necessarily an improvement in bee populations, but it, it generally doesn't have a very negative effect towards bees, and and therefore we're not having seen die-offs or any other types of associated diseases associated with stress. So we we believe that it's it, while venom collection may disturb the bee internally because it's 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 getting rid of its venom load it will regenerate that venom over over a week or so so it's 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 no huge loss towards the bee itself what other cool stuff have you done with fungi in terms of other products we've made we try to commercialize uh, uh gondoderma which is actually a plant parasite and causes huge amounts of damage in the kind of uh, Papua New Guinea and all the other types of very expensive like uh, wood areas and timber areas. But it's actually very beneficial because it has a lot of antiviral properties and tri um, peptides and other types of very interesting compounds which can help with binding to viruses such as COVID and everything. And there's, so there's many papers associated with that. And so we tried to actually commercialize it uh, because it wasn't necessarily commercialized in Australia and a lot of the extracts miss some of the uh, triterpolites in the actual compounds. So you need it in a kind of a form that's kind of digestible without actually having to go and do a water extract or an ethanol extract or something because you're going to miss out on the parts that you leave behind. So so the, gan the Ganoderma, is that... Um something that it will be available one day soon to people i mean as in we we we're happy to we'd be happy to sell it like it's it's not a problem it's just the demand in australia is very low in comparison to um, traditional chinese kind of company um, countries with traditional medicine it's news but the tests the tests show and the papers show that it actually is very effective against um, all these different types of um, viral kind of diseases like dengue fever, for example. It's, it shows a very high binding um, binding capability, and so if something binds to it, your immune system can recognize it very quickly and then mount a, a more accurate kind of defense against um, the viral data. So it's it's very useful. Uh, I, I wish it was news more here, and I wish um, Western culture took it a little bit more vigorously. Ganoderma is really interesting. I guess there are people like uh, Paul Stamets out there trying to bring more awareness to the benefits of using um, using fungi to treat human ailments and diseases and infections and things like that. So essentially, he is an absolute expert in fungal communication, and he has allowed the community to not only be more aware of you know, mycelium and the benefits of it. But it's also critical for the understanding of the general population to actually see that fungi are very beneficial. And most of our antibiotics come from fungi and a lot of our medicines actually come from fungi. And it, the majority of how our world works is like fermentation systems and similar to that. And there's a lot of, I guess, agrophobia to fungi and it's because of the fear of, I guess, you know, the the weirdness of um, eating a magic mushroom, which is it has psilocybin in it, or 
eating a poisonous death cap and we hear stories about people dying eating them and therefore there's been a lot of fear associated with all types of fungi but most bracket fungi and everything similar to that are very harmless and pretty edible and they don't most of them have really beneficial effects so and the agricon poor stamens works with it's it treats malaria and it's it's very uh, fantastic and it could be a potential treatment for resistant strains of malaria and plasmosis um, so i think it it would be uh, more interest if there's more people interested in mycology and potentially it would be more of a future step because a lot of the materials we can produce from fungi are very easy to produce and it's a decomposer so it gets rid of a lot of waste and gets a, little, a lot of junk in the environment so it's a perfect kind of tool to use to be able to move forwards um, from a post-plastic society. If somebody wanted to um, you know break into beekeeping um, and collect venom uh, what's a good way to, to start that process? The best way of cracking into the market is essentially having at least four hives. Uh, having less than four hives, it's, it's not economically viable to collect venom. You need to have over four hives um, to make it economically viable. You also just need a freezer, that's it. So it's just um, being able to scrape the venom off, into put it into a freezer, and you can sell it from there. It's, it's a very simple process. It doesn't require any huge processing. The venom itself will have to go through processes itself to be um, useful. But there's a lot of industries that use the raw products, such as cosmetics, such as pharmaceuticals, and such as uh, research. Nice. And um, I guess um, in terms of your, um, your selling the collection devices, how does somebody, you know, obtain that from you they just contact whale lab you can just go onto the website and purchase it it's 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 regularly pretty cheap it's not it's in comparison to other beekeeping equipment it's it's um readily uh, accessible and you just you can buy one from the website and for a week we'll ship one out so it's not it's not a complicated process to buy one uh, unfortunately a again it's made by one person in brisbane and he he usually tries his best to get the stuff out on time. Yeah, it must be. Um, it must have had like a huge demand um, as soon as you release it to the market. What well, didn't it? No, really. So how do you think we can boost that demand? I mean, surely you want more people doing doing this so that we have more beekeepers and more pollination. Of course, it's but it's a new idea, and unfortunately, um, sometimes there's there's people who are early adopters and there's people who are late adopters. So ideally, most of the people who are buying it at the moment are early adopters, and we didn't have a huge amount of demand when we first started, so we made quite a substantial loss the first um, couple of releases we did. And then we found out that most beekeepers are not using the collectors, so we didn't make we didn't make any real money um, the first couple of runs we've done, and so we switched to doing a four model system, which is more economically scalable for beekeepers, because we kind of have a problem with the fact that they uh, they were just you know returning the collectors and they weren't actually using them and so one frame system just wasn't going to make the impact that me and um, James wanted to actually see right. in the beekeeping industry. 
I, they weren't using the one frame collectors as much as they were using the four frame collectors. The people who were using the four frame collectors used it to collect venom, whereas the people who were using the one frame collectors were using it to collect from one or two hives and it just wasn't making a huge economical impact for them. You can actually collect venom while you're doing hive checks on other hives, so it's not necessarily a kind of in, uh, disruption to your routine. It's just more similar to the fact that you're going to have something running in the background while you're actually doing your tasks and searching for disease and um, obviously looking at queen laying patterns and stuff similar to that. So when you're doing your actual hive um, hygiene, you're, you're gonna not have any issues with having like a collector running in the background. Yeah, I guess the, um... To have like the hives set up in the first place is another task in itself to like oh, yeah. to get set the, up. The initial yeah. initial layout costs, you're talking about $200 per wooden hive just to buy it out straight. I'm sure there's cheaper methods as soon as you get into large scale bulk buying, but it probably costs around about $600 to get one hive. And after that, you still need about $200 worth of gear. And so that's $800 and then you need an initial layout for where you can put your hive. I know in Sydney, there's probably not many backyards that you can pop a hive in. Mm. So it's, it's, it's a restrictive type of industry. And unfortunately, we would like to make it more kind of attractive for new people to come into and to say, well, I only need like a $3,000 investment and I can start earning money. It's crazy. I'm like I know that it's it seems like a big pie in the moon kind of idea, but ideally we would kind of like to see that where that's where the industry goes, where it's more collecting venom, so that we can start using it for pharmaceuticals and start using it for cancer treatment, start using it for being able to you know make drugs that help you learn faster, similar to that. And yeah, I think it's it's going to be an explosion in the next couple of years. Yeah, well, he's hoping. Um, mm. All right. Well, thank you very much, James. It was great to have you on the yeah, Citizen Science Show. Thank you so much, Christine. You've been listening to Citizen 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 Science Citizen Science Show.